So as I went out this morning, it was raining really, really hard. And uh, now another corner of my house has water overflowing the gutters. So that's, an, that's another downspout. Um, it's clogged up with something. I, I'm, I'm just really bad at this stuff. So I am really, really not handy around the house. So when anything goes wrong there, I have to call upon friends who understand that stuff. And, you know, I just, I just pay them to do it because I cannot pull it off. And I'm not looking for a deal. I'm not looking for a deal. I just, I just don't want to get taken advantage of because I know so little about this stuff that I would be so easy to take advantage of. Does anybody else relate to this, this problem? Yeah, when it's water heater replacement or uh, planning for retirement or repairs here around the church property, I just don't want to get caught at the end having been swindled and not even know it, right? Someone else says, what? You paid that? I'm like, I know, I'm so bad at this. What if we apply that to faith? So the Bible, we're told, can lead us to God. Um, The Bible, if we follow its ways, will help us live a a life that does real good in the world and at the end will not leave us with any regrets. Um, The Bible, we're told, can keep us and our family away from things that seem right or feel good now, but in the end aren't good for us. That's wisdom. and, um, and, and, And that's all if we follow the Bible. But don't you know that the newest parts of these writings are getting to be 2,000 years old now. And some parts of this are 2,000 years older than that. I mean, who wrote this thing that we're supposed to be following? How do we know that these guys were really close to God? And and we strongly suspect they're all guys too. Why why, why are there more girls in here? Um, How do we know they were people who did real good in the world and died without regrets? I mean, we're seeing a lot of leaders these days and religious leaders included, who are into some really bad stuff, right? Turns out they're drunks, or abusers, or racists, or sexists, or sexual perverts. I mean, were were these folks like that? For that reason, many of you are holding back from faith today. And and I'm going to say that I don't think that you're holding out for a deal. I don't think you're holding out for like, well, just give me an easy religion that doesn't require very much of me and basically lets me do what I want. That's how the accusation often goes, but I don't think very many of you are actually doing that. I think you just want to know that the faith you're following is actually going to lead you to God, that you won't at the end have been swindled and not even know it. And everyone go, what? You followed that religion? Everybody could tell that one was messed up. Maybe you relate to that. This Bible has a lot of detractors. This Bible has a lot of enemies and people that don't think very much of it. Some of them are Bible scholars. Some of them are people who gave their life to studying this text and then decided they don't think very much of it. Some of them are pastors. Some of them are priests. What are they saying? They're saying that the Bible cannot be trusted because the Bible has been used to keep slaves in slavery. The Bible has been used to keep women trapped in abusive relationships. The Bible, some of them say, wasn't even written by anybody who actually knew Jesus. It was written hundreds of years after that by people claiming to be Peter or claiming to be Paul or James or John. 
Now, there's others that say, well, the Bible was originally written by followers of Jesus. But it's been altered through the years so much since then. Hand copied by scribes who took out opinions they didn't like, put in opinions they wished were there threw in their own point of view. If you haven't seen this stuff in the last month on social media somewhere, you probably will in the next month. Therefore, they say the Bible is not a reliable book to lead us to God and his blessings. But don't you know that most of those detractions don't actually come from using the Bible? They come from misusing the Bible. And a lot of those detractions don't come from the historical information that surrounds the scriptures it comes from a lack of understanding of the historical information that surrounds the scriptures so i'm going to be talking today a lot about a milestone that we're getting ready to launch here at the church it's uh, some classes that are going to be on a tuesday night in october called origins of faith and in the origins of faith one of the things we'll do is we'll look at these writings through the lens of history we'll look at these writings through the lens of literature We'll ask the Bible these tough questions that have been put to it, these accusations that have been made, and we'll study it together and see what, uh, how it shakes out. We're also going to discuss the core and essential beliefs of our Christian faith in, in, in this class together, all so that you can know that the foundation that you're building your life on is a strong one. It's a strong one. Um, let me give you just a few touch points that we'll, we'll, we'll cover uh, these and similar ones in Origins of Faith. Let's talk first about that misuse of the Bible. Okay, don't you know that you can make anything say anything if you work at it hard enough? I, I had a guy tell me once, a Bible verse will confess to anything if you torture it long enough. Um, how many of you saw the uh, Karate Kid like back in 1984? Or you've seen the Karate Kid from 1984? All right, lots of you, good. How many of you uh, basically know the story of the Karate Kid as it, as it went? Okay. Well, keep that in your mind as you watch this interpretation of the Karate Kid. The Karate Kid is the story of Daniel, a violent sociopath who moves to a California town and begins tormenting a local boy and his friends. Johnny is a high school senior with a commitment to atone for past mistakes. They are destined to meet when Daniel's neighbor invites him to a beach party, where he becomes instantly obsessed with Johnny's newly ex-girlfriend, Allie. And I. Johnny arrives to patch things up with Allie, but the discussion becomes heated. But one thing he is definitely not doing is getting violent. Daniel, however, seeing an opportunity to insert himself into Allie's life, chooses to escalate the situation, demanding the return of Allie's radio. Frustrated and heartbroken, Johnny complies with Daniel's request and in the heat of the moment, pushes him down. Daniel now has the radio and Allie is still in no danger. Nevertheless, he attacks Johnny, who merely steps aside, allowing Daniel to knock himself to the ground twice. But when Daniel refuses to let it go, Johnny must use force to end this violent outburst for the safety of everyone present. So what is Daniel's response to Johnny's non-aggression? Pow! A sucker punch right to the mouth. A few days later, Daniel attempts to enroll at a karate school, obviously intending to up his game so he can get revenge on Johnny. Months go by, and no one bothers anyone. Clearly, this conflict is over. Until Daniel, unprovoked and for absolutely no reason, drenches Johnny with water in the middle of a school function, ruining his night. And once again, it falls on Johnny to contain Daniel's fury. 
after local busybody, karate master, and child batterer Mr. Miyagi intervenes, Daniel convinces him that this is somehow all Johnny's fault. So they go to Johnny's sacred place, the Cobra Kai studio, and challenge him to yet another fight. Johnny accepts the challenge and even agrees to refrain from defending himself against any more of Daniel's unprovoked aggression until the match. No one touches the prima donna until the tournament. Daniel, of course, sees this as a license to continue to harass Johnny in public with impunity. The day of the tournament arrives. Johnny is there, defending his title. To no one's surprise, Johnny advances to the final round, and Karma catches up with Daniel when his leg is injured by the boy he wantonly attacked on the soccer field. However, just as Johnny is about to be awarded his trophy, Daniel is granted unnatural strength by the demon sorcerer Miyagi, enabling him to defeat Johnny and win the tournament in an upset. Ever mindful of good sportsmanship, Johnny lets go of his sadness at losing, subjugates his ego, and personally presents Daniel with his tainted blood trophy. You can make anything say anything, right? You can make anything say anything. My brother, or my son, uh, my son's school was protested by the, the Westboro people, you know, with the awful sign placards. And um, my, my son was surprised to learn that they claim to be a Christian church. And he said, they read the same Bible we do? I said, yeah, they read the same one. And my son said, they get that from it? And I said the same thing I'm saying to you. You can make anything say anything if you want it to. Now, the only thing protecting you from this interpretation of the karate kid is the demon sorcerer Miyagi. It was my favorite part. <laughs> is that you've seen the real story. You've seen the real story probably many, many times, and you know it backwards and forwards, and so you're not really, you're not really taken in by that. And the same goes for Scripture. If you know the real story of Scripture, then you can quickly recognize when someone starts trying to twist it to oppress women or support slavery or create a spiritual class of people that are superior to other people. Because there is a basic outline to the entire story of Scripture, and there are basically five key plot points that occur on every page of Scripture. And in the Origins Milestone, we'll cover what those five key plot points are, but none of them ever has anything to do with one person gaining power or authority over another person. And so once you know that whole story, then counterfeit versions of the Bible, you're immune, largely immune to those. Let's talk about can we trust the Bible and what it says. So here you have a lot of documents that were copied by hand tens of thousands of times before they, they came to us and then eventually you know, the printing press, that, which we tend to trust more. So how many of you have heard or, or maybe just thought yourself, there's no way what we're holding can be anything like what was originally written when it was copied by hand tens of thousands of times before we got it. How many people have heard that before or wondered something like that before? Well, I'm sorry to bother you if you had never heard that before. But what if I told you that the sheer number of times the Bible has been copied can actually prove its accuracy? The sheer number of times the Bible has been copied can prove its accuracy. Would you find that hard to believe? So in Milestones, we'll present several pieces of evidence for that statement. Um, but let me just give you one here. So how many of you have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? 
Okay, so the Dead Sea Scrolls were um, a, a, a bunch of Old Testament scrolls that were discovered in 1945. Before that, the oldest copy of the Old Testament we had was from 900 AD. See a problem with this? The Old Testament's writing was pretty well wrapped up by 300 BC before Christ. And the, new, the oldest copy we have is from 900 AD, like 1,200 years later. That's, that's interesting. Until... In 1945, a shepherd boy threw a rock into a cave and heard some clay shatter. When they went in there, they found jars filled with the Dead Sea Scrolls. And Bible detractors and Bible scholars said, okay, now you're going to see it because the Dead Sea Scrolls are from 200 BC. So some of those are only 100 years after the original writing. But they're 1,200 years older than anything we've ever looked at before. And so a lot of the Bible detractors are like, now you're going to see it. Now you're going to see how bad those scribes were. After 1,200 years, how much difference they created in the scriptures. They said, in just a few years, we're going to have to revise the beliefs and the writings of two major world religions in every language. And then they got to work. And as you, you may know, what they actually discovered was... The Dead Sea Scrolls were nearly identical to the letter of all those 1,200-year-old copies found later. The changes were like dropped letters or um, a skipped or left out word or, or a repeated line because they were real similar and so the scribe copied it twice. It was all that kind of stuff. No changes in belief or doctrine. Largely the same. Proving how seriously, those scribes copying those for 22 generations, how seriously they took that job and how reliable a scripture that has come to us actually is. And we'll have several other pieces of evidence for that idea that the Bible's been copied so many times that when you look at the evidence, it actually proves the accuracy of what we hold in our hands. And... In uh, the origins of faith, we're going to look at the core beliefs of Christianity. So we know that there are like 20,000 different Christian denominations, and that's way too many, too much disagreement. So our beliefs are just a little different than up the street at Woods Chapel United Methodist or down the road at New Springs Community Church. Yet, there is a core that is so similar and strong that we all consider ourselves Christian. We all consider ourselves brothers and sisters, despite some of these beliefs on the fringe. In fact, we consider ourselves brothers and sisters, not just with Christians in this town, but all over the world, in China and Africa and Mexico and Asia. Because 1,800 years ago, the church identified some core beliefs. It says we can have differences and disagreements, but these are the things that make us one. And they have done a good job of holding us together for these last two millennia. Do you know the essentials of the faith that you hold? Would you like to? That's what we're going to be doing in the Origins of Faith on some Tuesday nights in October and November. So what will happen? Once you know the overall story of Scripture, then you'll be able to spot for yourself when someone tries to teach you something weird or something that defeats the entire point of the Bible to begin with. Once you've seen for yourself the history of where the Bible comes from and how it came to us, you won't have to have that fear anymore that some conspiracy theory 
created the scriptures. And you also won't have that feeling that the Bible is some scary book of magic spells that you better just leave to the experts and and not not fool with. Because it's just not like that at all. And no one's ever thought of it that way uh, as they were creating it. And you'll be learning all this not so that you can win some argument with your brother-in-law or some skeptical person at work. In fact, learning this foundation to your faith will let you live in the world in love without having to fight at all. Let's talk karate first, then we'll talk faith. Most people in the world with violence get into trouble because they present like an overconfidence, a fake inflated confidence, or an underconfidence. So overconfidence is what people do who are actually nervous. And so they they put on this big display, which everyone can tell is fake, and you can't really back it up. And that provokes people, that kind of cockiness causes problems. Underconfidence attracts bullies. It att- underconfidence attracts people with a low self-esteem who just want to elevate themselves by having an easy win on someone weaker than they are. And that was me. I was the, I was the bully magnet. But after studying martial arts for four years and taking part in, in 2,000 supervised fights in a dojo, it begins to build your confidence. But it also develops in you a healthy respect for how quickly violence can go wrong. And so you quickly develop a deep desire never to actually be in that situation. And so by high school, I was that one slip up could mean a permanent catastrophic injury. So I didn't really want to get into that situation and see how it might go. And so when I was around bullies then, I was relaxed, but sober-minded, not looking for any kind of trouble. I didn't provoke anyone, but also that kind of basic confidence is is actually very spooky to bullies, as I discovered, Um, because one day in in school, this guy came up and goes, oh, I heard you're a black belt now. I bet you really think you're something, but I I could take you. And I go, yeah, I I actually think you probably could. I know your reputation. You've been in lots of fights, and uh, real combat experience is always more valuable than simulated practice. And he backs up and he goes, no. He goes, that's old school bad. (laughs) B.A. taught. I'm not messing with you. I was just calling it like how it was about to happen. This guy was about to end me. I was just being honest. But something about that kind of calm resignation to death kind of spooked him and he left. And so um, it works. It works. Um, there it is. Consequently, I never got into fights after I actually started training for them. Okay, there was one time on the school bus uh, that this, this big guy kind of shirt-collared me, and I put him in a wrist lock. But he showed up at our karate school the next week, and he walks in, I'm like, and he goes, I want you to show me how you did that thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, the guy who tried to beat me up now wants me to teach him how to do it the next time. This is like selling weapons to the enemy. But uh, he ended up coming to Christ and he's still a Christian to this day. And it all turned out fine. You know, all's well that ends well. So in the same way, Christians who don't really know their faith are nervous and defensive. You ever notice the people who know the least about the Bible always have the loudest mouth about it? 
It's because they're nervous and defensive, and so they're presenting an overconfidence because they don't really feel comfortable with what they know about Scripture. So they just come at everybody really hard and hope to kind of scare them off. But then they say crazy stuff that provokes everybody and attracts all kinds of bad YouTube comments, and it just makes everybody crazy. So they get into disagreements about religion, and they, over, they over, are overconfident and provoke people. Underconfidence is also a problem, and that's what some of us do with our faith, and we won't hardly share our faith at all. Or worse yet, we're so underconfident that we just adopt every belief that's thrown at us. So somebody goes, you know the Bible's not very reliable. And we're like, yeah, I know, it's probably not. You know every religion just teaches the same thing. Like, I know, they probably do. Because we're so underconfident. But when we rest on a firm foundation, we can be around people who don't believe, and we can be relaxed and confident. And then we can stay focused on the main thing, which is the love of God and the gift he's given us in Jesus Christ. And from that, and that calm confidence then lets us share with people nothing but the love of God, which is what we want. We want the person who tried to bully us about our faith last week to be in church the next week. Say, show me how you how you love so easily. And don't you know that some people that come at us really hard, it's just in their personality because they want to believe, but they want to make sure it's not fake. And so they come at you real hard, but they're really just kicking the tires before they get in it themselves. Have you ever had that where somebody was so mean to you and then you find out like two months later they've become a Christian? You're like, what? I thought you hated this. Well, I was just seeing if it was real. It's in some people's nature to do that. And so we want to be that person like, yeah, yeah, take a few swings. It's fine. This is how Jesus loves. Origins of faith will be the launching pad of faith for for many of you. The Bible was written for everyday people like us. In fact, a lot of parts of the Bible were written by everyday people like us who are having an extraordinary experience with God. And they put that story down. God wants all of his children united to him and united to each other. He wants us all to be relaxed and confident and freely showing love to everyone. And God wants you to know his story and to know that your foundation is strong in him. So let's put up our milestone pathway. You, you pass by a mural of this every time you uh, come into church. Can I have the other one that has the both Yeah, so here's all of our milestones for kids. And then here's the milestones for adults, which we often represent as being on a path. But this isn't a path like here's bad and here's good and you're getting somewhere. It's kind of just stages of a a spiritual journey that people go on through life. And actually some of the hardest, most difficult parts of it are up in here. So it's not like it just is getting a better and better journey. It's just a journey. And so we feel like after years of study that this is how people's faith journey often goes. For instance, some of you today may a few months ago not have been followers of Christ. And something has happened and God is new to you and exciting and God has done something. And it's just all kind of that swirl of discovery And so we have a milestone actually next Sunday for you. And we'd like you to sign up for that today, which is the the new to faith or discovery milestone. And it's a lunch. 
It's a lunch. And you just come and tell the story of what God has done. And some pastors will be there to hear that story. And then to suggest a few next steps you might take. Because there's nothing worse than having an exciting experience with God. And then it just kind of the air runs out of the balloon. It doesn't need to be that way. Um, What we're talking about today is the origins of faith class. And you see it comes in a little triad. So if you took the presence of faith last year, origins of faith is a good one this year. And this is for those of you who want to take a class. You want to make a strong foundation and you want to have that relaxed confidence so you can come together. If you have a friend that you think would be good for this, maybe sign up for the class with them. That'll help encourage them to grow. If you're a small group, um, maybe mid-season could use a little uh, something different. Some people bring their small group in for those five weeks on a Tuesday night, and they all sit together and, and, and learn this stuff, and then they have something to talk about. And then this ends, and you go back to small group for the fall, so, or the, till the holidays. So if you want to sign up for Origins of Faith, which is our highlight today, just go on the church app and look under forms for Origins of Faith. If that's not really how you do it, you can go out to the mural of this, and sitting there will be Twyla, our... Um, milestones assistant and she can sign you up for the origins of faith or you can go to the kiosk and they can do that there um, for some of you are like ah, i don't know about a class i'm ready to do something for god i'm ready to further his mission in the world so that would be this milestone here we'll be talking about that after the first of the year and still others of you are like you know i've heard all this stuff a hundred times before and i still just feel like i'm banging my head against a wall I used to be a lot better at this, and now I feel like I don't hear from God anymore. I don't even know if I believe this stuff anymore. You feel like you're about to slip out of faith, but actually, that's a stage of faith that many people have gone through called the inward journey. And if what I just said describes you, then you'll want to prick up your ears here in just a few weeks when they start talking about generation eight. That means there's been seven generations of this before you. But generation eight is... um, where there's like 20 people missing from the sanctuary right now who are up at a prayer retreat center with Pastor Dan and my wife Ashley, and they're learning there's a way to pray when you're at that kind of dark place of faith. And there's a a fresh way, a real way, to encounter the living God who walks with you even at this point on the path. And so if that sounds like you, when they start talking about Generation 8, you'll want to hear what they're saying. Our idea here at Lakeland is that Once a year, everyone takes part in a milestone, creates a season when you turn up the spiritual heat and take a step forward with God. One milestone a year, either for yourself or if you have kids, you can do one for your kids. Often that involves the whole family. So here we are in September. If your kids have not had a milestone this year and neither of you, and you're probably not going to do this generation eight, then Origins is it. It's time. It's time before the year gets by to have that season and and take a step forward with God. And I hope to see you there. We have a lot of fun in there, and I think we do a lot of good, meaningful Christian work toward building that foundation. Amen? Amen. So I just have one announcement left, um, which is what we're preaching about next week. So back in the summer, I was doing that series, uh, 1 Corinthians, the stuff I was too scared to preach before. And we had a family emergency and uh, got cut short just by one message. So next week, we're going to go back and pick that up. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul says, Are you a slave? Don't let that bother you. Just stay how you are. Yeah, you see why I skipped that back in 2000 and. 
and uh, seven. I mean, in America, we don't think too much of slavery anymore. And we really don't think much of people saying, oh, if you're in a low social class, like, just be happy with that. That's the American dream. Just stay, just, just keep things how they are. That's, we don't like that stuff. And so um, I skipped it. But I've come back to study it, and I've found, as with all of them, there is an exciting word of God in that. There's a little bit of misunderstanding going on in that. And so we're going to come back next week and finish our series um, 1 Corinthians, the stuff I was too scared to preach before. And that will fill in everything I skipped, chapters 1 through 7. It no longer looks like Swiss cheese on my little chart of what we preached. And and someday we'll pick up an 8, and I'll never skip again. I will do the hard parts, because I'm a grown-up man now. (laughs) All right. So, well, chronologically. (laughs) All right. Let's stand together. Um talked about our foundations of our faith we're going to recite the apostles creed together these are those essential beliefs that hold us all together christians all over the world are saying these in hundreds of languages so let's join together with them as we remember what the foundation is that makes us one i believe in god the father almighty creator of heaven and earth i believe in jesus christ his only son our lord who was conceived by the holy spirit Born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. On that strong foundation, go forward.